every single time Jesus gets popular, Jesus achieves a measure of success with the crowds. At that moment, Jesus disappears. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your favorite Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Michael Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave, lay assistant to exorcist, Van Vickle. How you doing? <laughs> wow, you make me so crazy. I know. I, I don't even do that anymore. I just speak on it now. You just speak on it now. You're, yeah. you're not standing next to the priest, interjecting no. whenever you want. Yeah, right. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah. How long? How long? How long? I get people ask me questions about this all the time. How long were you involved actively in that ministry? I mean, off and on since I was 16, you know, so, and I'm 30, I'm 35, but uh, that's really off and on, you know, really off and on to honestly, you know what I was doing? You know what I was doing when I was 16? You were just as nerdy as I was. You were listening to Scott Haunted. I was working at Peter Piper pizza. That was my <laughs> ministry. <laughs> I'd have to dress up in a dinosaur costume. <laughs> I'd have to answer the phone. Thank you for calling Peter Piper. This pizza. is You're a great awesome. place for birthday parties. This is this so is awesome. How can I help you? <laughs> And then we served alcohol there, so literally dads would get drunk while their kids are what? there for a party. That's horrible. Oh, yeah. And I would come out as a dinosaur, and the dad would be like, pull his tail. <laughs> this is the best story. Yeah. And do you know what? I had I had several occasions when I was working where I tried to like bring the gospel to the people I worked with, and it was literally could not have gone worse. <laughs> I, I'll tell you on one occasion, I was working construction. My brother had a construction company, and... Uh, I would always try and evangelize the workers, right? And and we were we were friends and everything like that. And so I'm like trying to like they were they were like saying some really crass things and I was like trying to talk to them about like chastity. <laughs> it was it was so awful, Gomer. So I was like trying to appeal to them on like a natural level. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, don't you think it would be great if like when people got married, like if they were virgins, like if they could make that like first time gift to each other like i was saying this to the at at the age of 16 to these men who's you know have been in construction their whole lives and so i so i said this i was like you know like appealing on that natural level like i mean isn't that isn't that something we can all agree on that that would be good you know they go you'll never find someone like that you're never going to find someone who's like save themselves for marriage <laughs> so <laughs> so i think in my head like well that's not true you know like i was thinking about yeah. franciscan university and i was like you know what there's this place called Franciscan University. There's yeah. lots of people who have saved themselves to marriage. And literally, they're like, what is this place? You know? And I was like, you know. And they're like, how many people do you think are like virgins there? And I was like, I don't know. Hundreds for sure. You know? And literally, it was like the lost city of El Dorado. They were like, where is this place where all the virgins go to congregate? <laughs> but th this is what the way they thought of it. And it's like, it was just the worst evangelization situation <laughs> yeah, ever. You know, yeah. like it totally backfired. Yeah. Generally for construction workers, you want to take a different tact than challenging them on chastity <laughs> when they're making dirty jokes on the work site. <laughs> As a yeah, lay evangelist, so. you don't have to participate right. in it, <laughs> right. but maybe right. right. That was one of my one of my downfalls. There, oh, that's so. so funny. Well, you we got some great email, and we're going to go through a couple of them before we dive into our topic for today. So, uh, Dave, we got a wonderful email from Jennifer asking about intercessory prayer groups, and you're the one that is the king. So let's talk about that. 
Well, well, I rely a lot on intercessory prayer groups, not so much that I'm the king, but I rely on intercessory prayer. So I just want to go through kind of the steps here that if you're in a position to make change at a parish, which everyone is truly, when it comes to intercessory prayer, every one of you are in a position to create something at a parish. But if you're, say, a DRE or a director of evangelization or something like that, and you want to start something official through the parish, as I said before, you want to start it informally from people who you know are already praying. So people, you know, you're going to see them in the back of the church praying their rosaries and things like that. And you want to just say, hey, would you mind getting together with me to pray specifically for evangelization at the parish, for conversions at the parish? That could be during a holy hour. It could just be praying the rosary. It could just be literally standing for two minutes in the back of the church, praying your memorari like Omer and I use. But start it informally. Once you start to grow that group a little bit, it's time to invite other people into it. But when you do that, what I do is I always say to make a job description, okay? And uh, again, if you email me, I'd be happy to provide you with that job description. And the job description, the way I set it up, works like this, that every day we ask them to pray a certain prayer for conversions at the parish. It might be a memorari. It might be a prayer that somebody wrote or the pastor wrote or something like that. And then what I would do is make that the next step where we just get a bunch of people, an army of people praying, maybe just one or two, three at the most prayers specifically for conversions at the parish. And once that step is down, we're going to take it even a step further, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to launch this as like an official group of the parish and one day a month say to these people, would you be willing to fast for conversions at the parish? Now, this is like intercessory prayer on steroids, right? That you would have every single day of the month, uh, a group of people who are praying for the needs of the parish, praying for conversions, but then every day there's at least one person who's actually fasting, giving something up, and experiencing that thirst that Jesus talks about from the cross for souls, uh, and offering that to God for conversions at the parish, okay? Uh, what I would do with that group is if if you've got that going and it's working well, everything's going okay, then I'd say to your pastor, hey, we have this group of people who literally pray every single day for needs of the parish, would you like to submit some of your intentions to these people and involve them in the daily parish life, okay? And when I do that, then I would allow the, I would have the priest say, maybe give us five intentions that we can pray for each week specifically that are on your heart, right? As the pastor, he knows, right? He has that spiritual eye to look at the parish and see what do we need here, and you can pray through that. And then once you've done that, you got you're getting comfortable here, right? I would assign every day or maybe one one a week a member of your clergy to specifically pray for, okay? To specifically pray for that member of the clergy. I'd also assign a staff member to specifically pray for by name every week. And then once you've got this all running, okay? I would give them a special prayer book specific to your parish, right? That you write up yourself the prayers that you you've been using. I try and meet once a month for a holy hour. I try and give them a little bit of training and in intercessory prayer, which you can find on. Uh, there's there's plenty of resources out there. I, Sister Ann Shields, I think, has still has the best book on intercessory prayer. And I would try and feed them so that they become the prayer warriors that they can be for the parish. Now, each of these steps builds on the one before, and you could stop at any one of those steps. If you feel overwhelmed by what I just said, go back to step one and just meet informally with people. But what I'm saying is that if you're a DRE, if you're a director of evangelization, this should be a big part of your job. Like you should look at this methodically 
and really see like in a very systematic way how intercessory prayer is going to be the foundation on which all your all your apostolate happens uh and, and in which case all these steps are good things to take and that's kind of the the final thing i would say is that then you just pick one month out of the year where you're trying to get more members of your of your intercessory prayer group that is awesome because it, building this lets everyone know that you you are preceding the miracle of conversion with prayer. Yeah, so uh, and it's honestly I've seen uh, in every single situation. I've never not had this be the case where I have consulted with a parish or a pastor. I have said, "Okay, so first thing we're going to do is start the intercessory prayer group." And they almost always always say, "Well, let's talk more about like discovering Christ or Alpha or something like that." Because they they gloss over the intercessory prayer part. And you know what happens is they get into it a year of evangelizing and and nothing has happened. And what they you know realize is that like whoa hold on a second, right? We we don't we don't inflict evangelization on people. God gives us souls, right. you know. God gives us souls, and we have to pray for inflict them. Inflict evangelization on people. <laughs> that's what I do, that's what I've done many times is inflicted on people <laughs> rather than tried to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's how I feel like this podcast got started. Anywho. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so we have a topic today, Dave, right? We got a topic. We're going to hit a, hit up a topic yeah. that I think is relevant. And touchy. Yeah. A little bit, you know, might, it might make people uncomfortable. Yeah. So this, today's topic goes to one of those shadier background things that sometimes we're not always conscious of. Right. But I think affects a lot of things. It's like wearing a pair of glasses that colors the reality through which you see everything. And so... Um, I, I want to start off by reading a passage from the Gospel of John, if you don't mind, Dave. Can I can I read some Gospel to you? Yeah, but I'd prefer you proclaim it to me. <clears throat> so when I proclaim it, God is spelled G-A-W-D because I'm from the South. God! Right? No? Okay. <laughs> All right. That's a little, it's a little funny. Okay, so here's, here's two passages that I've been thinking about. Okay, number one is from uh, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for thus that they persecute the prophets who came before you. And then the other one, and that's the one I talked with Dave about right before we started the show, but here's the other one. The other one comes from John chapter 2, verses 23, 24, and 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many did not believe in his name, or excuse me, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Okay, saw the signs, believe in his name. Verse 24, but Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then the very next verse is chapter three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this is where you get that famous born again, right, born from right. above, water and spirit um, dialogue. But that passage, these two combined, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, every single time Jesus gets popular, Jesus achieves a measure of success with the crowds. At that moment, Jesus disappears. Right. Right. So uh, he'll either walk across the water, <laughs> you know, he'll go off and pray by himself into a lonely place. He will, or he'll pull uh, John's, in fact, several of these come from John chapter six, or he will 
directly scandalize them to chase them away. Right, right. With with little uh, couching of his arguments, no disclaimers, right? No, um, but wait, you didn't understand me. He's like, come back. Right. No, he like just lets people walk away. And yet I find an overall tendency within Catholic circles. It's almost like we have a hangover from Christendom. And this is the kind of the concept that I wanted to see what your thoughts were. We used to rule the world. Right. <laughs> and now we don't. We are scared of all these people leaving the church. You know, six young adults leave for every one adult that we uh, make Catholic that converts to Catholicism. So you start to look at all of this stuff, and there is a level of panic at look at how small our church is getting. But my question is, do we evangelize so as to make Christianity or Catholicism popular? Right. Is is our labors, are our labors to make the gospel known so that people can respond? Or are we actually trying to make Jesus popular? Because I think if we're trying to make Jesus popular, we're going to take a specific approach. But if we're trying to make hardcore disciples, regardless of how many or how few, we're going to take a different approach. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Okay. I think... In the culture of today, which I am basically saying all of you out there are in, including you, Gomer, but not me. I've I've completely seceded from the culture of today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But what I'm saying is there are so many voices that in a certain sense, in order for the gospel to just be heard, there are certain efforts we need to make to make it appealing. But I think that that is a very slippery slope. And I think that the problem is we err on that side of like, are we doing this so that the gospel can be heard or are we doing that to make Jesus appealing, the gospel appealing? The problem is people are getting too much into the gray area there. Because I would say that, no, we're just here to, to make sure the gospel is heard. We're certainly not there to bend it in some way to make it more appealing, Yeah, in my opinion. Like I think about St. Paul in Romans chapter 1. Right, he says. Yeah, yeah right. First, right. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Right? right here, he is laboring, going to such great lengths among Jews and Gentiles alike to preach the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel; it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and then the Greek. And he understands his mission to be a global mission. Like he is preaching salvation to the ends of the earth. That's his goal. Christ commanded that. Right. What I often see, though, is the tendency can be that we're trying to make, we want Christianity to be good enough, right? So there are some people who are willing to compromise certain aspects of the gospel so that it has a better hearing in our modern culture. Yeah, that's that's evil. Right. But I think the problem is, even just to get like, because I think an evangelist at heart would say something like, but don't you understand these people don't know Christ and they're offended by our 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 morality. Therefore, if we can just I'm not saying get rid of it, but just soften it or tweak it or whatever, then the gospel can be heard in these groups or, you know, whatever. We can make space for them. But I think the problem is like we have lost the fact that the first words of Christ, like in Mark's gospel, is repent and believe, right? Like this right. notion of to be a Christian means I have to change my life. Right. And we deliberately 
hide that part. Yeah. You know? We deliberately, unless, you know, uh, no man can be worthy to be my disciple unless he hates his father and mother, indeed, even his own life before he can come follow me. Like, we soften that so much to the point that we, I, like, this is my fear. Uh, evangel popularity as evangelization lowers the bar to entry so much right that christianity essentially means nothing and demands nothing right and then discipleship just fades away i think that that's happening almost across the board unfortunately <laughs> and again we're back to this idea of like well, what what part of the charisma do you emphasize and it's very easy to stay at the at the beginning god loves you has a plan for you right that's the adventure that's the fun part of christianity it's hard to preach repentance. And to be honest with you, I don't think most people like, I don't think that they're ready to be unliked. And a repentance does cause you, is going to cause you consternation in the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it has to, right? So I think now that we have shifted to a post-Christian culture today in our society, yeah, we're just being Christian is like coming publicly and saying that um, is an eye roll or you're immediately labeled a bigot. I think, you know, it, it's funny because in the Roman culture where Christianity grew up, it was a pre-Christian culture. It was a very harsh place, right? They understood the harshness right. of justice and things like that. Today, we don't understand that. We embrace the softness of mercy. Right. And it's amazing because as our society, because that's what a post-Christian society does, but that is not, that's Christ without the cross, what Archbishop Fulton Sheen would warn us. The, the essence of the demonic, right? Isn't that what he said? Oh, yes. Right, yeah. Right. And he said, that's the sin of the West is a, a Christ without the cross. And the sin of Soviet Union was the cross without Christ. Right. All discipline, no grace. All grace, no discipline. But we don't want to make Christianity popular. We want to make disciples. So what would that look like? In an RCIA program, if truly Christian, the rigors of Christian discipleship was made known. Like, so, so for instance, part of being a, doing this thing called Exodus 90, you fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. You, those are meatless days as well as fast days. And I love it because in the Didache, we find out one of the earliest documents of the church or the earliest non-scriptural document that we have. In the Didache, it talks about how Christians always fasted on Wednesdays and on Fridays, right. which is where Exodus 90 gets that. And the whole idea of like the common fast of all Catholics abstaining from meat on Fridays and all that stuff, right. it, there's so often this like bare bones, like minimum, lowest common denominator approach that cheapens the very thing that we're trying to get across. I, yeah, and I think what, you know, in the end, one of the things that hangs in the balance is any kind of universal call to holiness. Right, we're not we're not interested in that at all anymore. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, no one talks about being a saint anymore. They yeah. they talk about basically that you're already a saint. Yeah, know? and I think one of the big things that you see manifested in this, um, I'm going to pull in another podcast. Um, so yesterday, I just listened to Bishop Barron's interview on the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. So Jordan Peterson, if you don't know, he's a a psychologist in the Jungian tradition who started recording his lectures at the, I think it was the University of Toronto, but then he um, began recording these three-hour lecture series on like the book of Genesis and Jungian archetypes in a like a more psychological interpretation. And they are, they have millions of views. And then he wrote the 12 Rules of Life and he began publicly challenging 
uh, aspects of the Canadian transgender pronoun laws where you could literally go to jail if you refuse to adopt right modern right. you know gender study stuff and so his whole he so he skyrocketed in popularity among certain groups but when he was interviewed with bishop Barron, when he it was his podcast that interviewed bishop Barron, um one of the things that he talked about is he finds it so weird that he travels around the world he did 150 live shows and he says like he tells these men you need to take responsibility what you're playing video games in your parents basement because you haven't accepted the nobility of suffering well right and bishop Barron responded and that's the problem of catholicism in the last like 50 years is maybe we were reacting to an overly judgmental god or judgmental christianity but then we were all mercy and no justice and no wonder people are spilling out from the church we haven't offered them something challenging to embrace right and when you do that when you rob it of its challenge you rob it of its nobility when you rob it of its nobility like what's the point why would i give up well like your construction workers why would i give up sex with my girlfriend or hooking up or whatever for something that you tell me the peak of your theology is god already loves you he loves you just as you are and that's it Right there has to there has to be something more there to bring me out of this. The 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 balance we have to strike though is that the other side is almost like a stoic philosophy where it's like, yeah, you're gonna you know the cross is the cross and that's what you know you're gonna pick it up and this is what men do and this is what you know this is what hard tough people do when really it's like the love relationship is always there but we 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 don't understand what love is anymore and so. When we say that God loves us, yeah, he, he loves us. And, and you know, if his love is the sun, there's the nice day at the beach. But you get closer to the sun, you're going to get burned, you know. And it's the cross that brings about true change in our life. And it's the only thing that really can bring about. There's some change that can come through through the through the nice day at the beach, right? But some of that change has to become, has to come through throwing yourself into the, the fiery abyss of God's love for you yeah and suffering is often or the cross is is the way that god often strips us of who we are and, and the things that are not of him and it's the only way for real change you know? yeah yeah so i i think one of the huge things that we as catholics need to understand in evangelization and this is part of it like the the thirst for conversion we all need to have a thirst for conversion for the conversion of others but that thirst for bringing others, and I am, I, and I am guilty of this. In fact, I'm thinking of one person right now, maybe two people, where I didn't want to push them away because I wanted to grow the numbers on our bench, as okay, it were. Right? Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like there was this element where I softened things because I wanted them in the church. Sure. Not that I misrepresented the gospel, like you know. Oh, premarital sex is fine. Contraception, sure. But no. Right. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. The idea of being like, no, this is a challenge. This is what we are dedicated to. Our whole culture says gravitate towards comfort, softness, uh, you know, and, and make it all about your feelings. And this is saying to you, it's not about you. Right. You have to conform yourself to this. 
And I think evangel popularity as evangelization, right? This notion that we're trying to make Catholicism make Catholicism popular again, right? Right. That what it does is it does the exact opposite. It can subtly shift our words and it can subtly shift our approach and our goals and even our process of initiation for the sake of numbers. You know, I've been guilty of it in my own life. I, I really have, you know, of different different times where I've held back parts of the gospel because exactly what you're saying. And I and I kind of had in my mind, like, well, we'll get to that later. But is that really what was in my mind, you know? Because it's just tough. It's tough to preach the hard parts. And, you know, the, the perfect example is your average parish priest in America. They've been settling so long for certain things that what passes for a good Catholic now is so low. The bar is so low. If if you're just showing some kind of an effort in their mind, it's like you're you're a saint. Yeah, and that's that's it, right? If you show some kind of effort, you're a saint. Right. And then when you actually go through and read the lives and teachings and spirituality of the saints, of the you saints. realize <laughs> oh, I am Yowza. <laughs> Yowza. <laughs> right. uh, so there here's this great one from a great uh, scripture quote from Saint Paul. Uh, this is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think about this passage in terms of those who go through a great suffering, yeah. and yet they refuse to compromise themselves. Right, right. So... Women who are struggling with infertility. Yeah. Whereas the world can give you many options when struggling with infertility that are not in alignment with church teaching. Right. And the hunger to be a mother is far greater within a woman than I think the hunger to be a father in men because it is something that is so internally oriented. Right, right. It can feel like such a death. To not have this, right? But if you reread that as St. Paul, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, yep. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We lay people, our spiritual worship is not to offer the once for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross through the holy sacrifice of the mass, but to offer all of these sacrifices in union with the Eucharist, right? And this is it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And when I see women who have suffered through these painful moments, and yet they choose the good, they choose non-compromise, they choose the cross, they prove the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And there is a different sort of blessing than maybe what they had in store for themselves. Right, right. Than maybe then having a biological child of their own, you know, maybe they adopt, maybe they foster, and through that, they bring such healing and peace into these kids' lives who otherwise would be lost. I totally know what you mean. And do you know where I think this is falling apart? Where? Natural family planning. Yeah. It basically, if you are doing natural NFP, you are in such a small percentage of your parish that basically, like, like for instance, I had an argument with one of my very closest priest friends, right, who was talking to a couple about NFP. They've completely forgotten that there are rules. That you, ha I mean, you have to qualify as a Catholic for NFP. You know what I mean? In his mind, in the pastor's mind, 
so many people are contracepting that the fact that this couple's even doing NFP, it makes them, it makes it okay. And so it's like, no, that's not the way it works, right? That you're not preaching the full gospel here, that it's not okay for every couple to use it. There are rules to be able to use NFP and we're not, to not let them know about that is to basically say, oh yeah, you're just doing okay. You're doing, you know, as long as you're trying, everything's fine. So you're talking about specifically with NFP, the notion of the church still demands generosity of, in terms of children, right? Even if you're not using an illicit means, you still might be doing it to, you still might have the contraceptive mentality. Yeah, right. So for instance, you know, you have to have serious financial problem. There could be, you know, physical or mental health issues, like those kinds of things. I mean, you still have to really discern whether or not you're allowed to use NFP, right? You know, and I think that the fact that we think, you know, it's such a rare thing that people are using it now that we just assume anyone who's using it, it has has those things mm, met. You know? Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure I'll be the most hated person in podcast world for saying that. Yeah, well, I, this is the danger of NFP that I think we're already going to great lengths, right? Right. We're right. already doing the thing that the culture hates, right? Because the culture right, loves right. contraception, loves forcing right. it on people, cannot understand family life without a thousand contraceptives. Right. And we're like, okay, we're going to do this. But then it's like, but the command was to be generous. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I you know what? Like, th- that was something that was called out to me um, when I first got married. My buddy, uh, who's best man at my wedding, he was like, we we're talking about NFP, and he just says, "Well, are you going to be?" I, I said, "Like, I don't, I don't know if I feel called to have a big family." And uh, he's like, <laughs> "Just, I mean, what a weasel thing for me to say. I don't know if I feel called to that." And he just said, "It was like a punch. It was like a punch in the gut for me to hear you say." <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, it was for him, and then he turned around and verbally punched me. But he was like, "Mike, you're called to a big family, or to be generous in terms of your family by being a Catholic parent." Not there's not a separate level of discernment, and he told me to go back and read *Humanae Vitae*, <laughs> and I reread it, and I was like, "Nah, be generous unless there's right. grave circumstances." Right. Okay, yeah. okay, it's hard. Yeah, and and to be fair, to be fair and to be honest, I do think you know <laughs> as you as you started off, uh, did you? <laughs> we talked for so long in the pre-show. I don't know if this is part of the show or not, but. Now you have a mortgage, right? Like, right, yeah, right, right. A mortgage totally changes the dynamics because now you are the golden handcuffs, the yeah. aluminum siding handcuffs of right. a mortgage. So many people buy such expensive homes because they're told by the culture you can afford it. Right. That I think many Catholics who even want to have a bigger family are watching a third uh, half of their monthly income go to the mortgage company. Right. That... You know, it's things like this that, as Catholics, like, we need to be better at discerning and we need to be better at teaching teaching our, our people in marriage prep, even. Right. That's how, this is part of the, the damage that culture does. Right. Culture sets it up so it's anti-family. It's anti-neighborhood community. Like, it's literally how our homes are built, are meant to pull us away from other people. And so, um, and I say that ad nauseum, buy my book, uh-huh. um, the, the whole thing about community but now we, you take that and it's like, okay, well, you see the logic of the church in living a simple life enables you to be more generous right. with children, right? And so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. So I, I, I don't know how to go forward, but I know that I feel like this episode is meant to be an examination of conscience. I want to offer like a possible 
way out for people who are actively preaching the gospel and have maybe fallen into this idea that and and one of the things that really helped me is going through the gospels line by line and I have like a little journal entry that's just it's literally just called the hard sayings of Jesus and I I read it every other day oh wow because I want to make sure that we're not forgetting about the hard sayings of Jesus about you know I I love the parts where Jesus enters into intimacy and and the calls of the different disciples and and the beautiful beautiful times when he's bringing us in through his tenderness but there are hard sayings that we skip over in the gospel and it really has changed the way that I speak the way I evangelize because it it's the fullness of the gospel yeah so do yeah. that do that go through the gospels make your list of the hard sayings of Jesus and then I think the last thing that I every catholic evangelist needs to understand in conceiving of evangelization as, you know, popularity, like trying to make the gospel popular, Jesus popular, are we trying to make ourselves popular, right? I think the reason why we do those things ultimately is rooted in a disordered self-love yeah, where we, sure. are, we are afraid to have people not like us uh-huh. or hate us, especially if they're family members. And that causes us to distort hide or shrink back from the demands of the gospel. But if we believe in the gospel and not in ourselves, if we actually believe in the gospel, then that means, ipso facto, that we believe that the saving power of Jesus Christ is bigger than all of these things. And it's actually worth your time and it's worth my time and that these words are spirit and life and they're true. And, And so if I'm distorting it, I, do I really believe it's true? Now, and then you have the other side of it. Not everyone can accept every truth right out the gate. Of course. So we we are saying this in light of the previous things that we said. Yeah, right. 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 We've talked plenty about that. Like if, if people, if you know them because you have a relationship with them, that morality, uh, a particular moral teaching is a hang up for them or is a rejection point. You don't just talk about that all the time with them. But at the same time, when you're giving them the glory of the faith, you don't hide that. You don't minimize that. Because the beautiful thing is, that means that the teaching of Jesus Christ, the way of the Lord Jesus, is the stumbling block, not you. I don't want to be the stumbling block. And again, it, again it's coming back to, what, what are, we, what, are, we, are we honestly allowing the gospel to engage us as evangelists, or are we just picking and choosing what we want? to preach and using the gospel yeah. for our own means. So. Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh, it is so difficult. And, and then the other difficulty that I've seen, right, when people start talking about like authentic discipleship and the rigorisms of it is, um, so, okay, we have the danger on one side of appealing to the masses that will change our theology or at least our approach. Yeah. But then the other danger is of being exclusive or elitist. You know, creating an insiders-only club. Oh, you're a baptized Catholic, but you're not a disciple, right? right? Like, and that's another danger. But I, I honestly think that's a far lesser danger. Oh yeah, right. Because people build up clicks on everything. Yeah, of course. That's that's like natural, normal human behavior. Right. Yeah, and I think one of the clearest signs of true evangelization is persecution. Oh yeah. So when we're looking at the political landscape, I think today. A lot of us are despairing almost over how far the culture has gone, how divisive the language is between 
Catholics and the wider culture, you know, whether we're talking about hot button issues like abortion and gay marriage and public funding of contraception and abortion. Right. Or, you know, like there's there seems to be such a, um, a line drawn in the sand, whereas 10 years ago, you could be like, well, I'm pro-choice, well, I'm pro-life. Well, you know, I don't agree with you, but sure. we can still have coffee right. together or something like that. Now it's like, not only do I not agree with you, I'm going to call your boss and try to get them fi- to fire you because you're anti-woman or whatever it is. I There has to be this point of you and I evangelizing leads to persecution, and that's a moment of rejoicing. And we need to make sure that it's because of our gospel message, not because of our personality <laughs> that leads people to insult oh, yeah. us, oh, yeah. <laughs> persecute us because of me. I think that's the great phrase that Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount. Reject you falsely because of, of me. me. Right. We've all met one. We've all met one of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there was one priest whose first sermon ever as a priest was, uh, what was it? Only a sodomite or a liar would vote for Hillary Clinton. And that was his first sermon. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that was his first sermon. So the pastor asked me to just have a conversation <laughs> with this man about what does evangelization look like for someone right. who really, truly loves their faith. And it's like, well, you're not being winsome. I'll give right. you that. <laughs> right. Uh, you're not striving for popularity with a statement uh, like that. You know, uh, brothers and sisters, we we love doing this podcast, and we're gonna we're gonna take a break for a minute here and come back with your five practical takeaways. But we we love doing this like every week, and we're hoping that you're being blessed by it too. If you are, please shoot us an email and let us know. You know, we want to hear some glory stories. We've heard some awesome stories so far about people who have tried to do the five practical takeaways and who are having these awesome experiences, and we'll share those with you in the future. Um, but again, uh, if you want to contact us, if you have a question, an idea for a show or something like that, it's EKSB at ascensionpress.com. That's every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. And uh, uh, support the good people at Ascension Press. We're so thankful that they decided to partner with us for this podcast. We'll yeah. be back. Oh, go. Oh, I just want to say, and we got a little special preview of the 99. Oh, yeah. Right. I have been watching a ton of those videos. Oh, man. I haven't Ascension watched any Press, yet, unfortunately. Uh, I'm telling, I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you this much, man. It is unlike any other offering. Really? The beautiful really? thing, the beautiful thing that they are doing is they actually are being super creative. It's like they hired a bunch of millennials to make these videos or something. They're being super creative, and it's not just talks. Okay. Right? And I love it. I love it. I think it's so great. And I would recommend their marriage series. We just bought their marriage series as a parish because I, I wanted to evaluate it and kind of contrast it with another marriage series that came out recently. And, oh, my goodness, this blows it out of the water. It is amazing. And it just starts off with, like, this sweet boy meets girl story. Huh. And I don't even think they have words that you that they say. It's just watching how this man and this woman, you know, young adults find each huh. other and fall in love and all that stuff. And then it goes right into the marriage curriculum with Christopher West teaching on the theology of the body. I love it. I love it. I think I just did the commercial. Did I just do the commercial? Anywho, we'll be right back. EKSB at Ascension Press. So much good stuff happening. We'll be right back. Like there it is. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. 
And because these broken and perfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds 2,000 years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed, where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. We're back to every knee shall bow. Uh, we're going to give you your five practical takeaways. Don't forget to uh, take a look at ascensionpress.com. They have awesome products there, and we're happy to be part of the Ascension Press community. And also, give us a rating on iTunes. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please try and bless us back and give us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. We love to hear your feedback and, and to hear from you guys now, Gomer, let's jump into our five practical takeaways. Yeah, this is great. So our five practical takeaways, brothers and sisters, is going to be an examination of conscience. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit differently this week. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. This is for you to take your fancy moleskin journal <laughs> and to go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament, maybe with a catechism and a Bible, and to sit down and, and go through these lists of five questions to ask and evaluate your ministry. So if you're a priest, this is about your preaching and your teaching. If you're a parish worker or a DRE or you know someone in charge of RCIA, if you're a volunteer, or if you're just a layman, laywoman who is out there preaching the gospel, yeah, these five questions are for you. Okay, so when we're talking about an examination of conscience, it's not just the sins I commit, but the mentalities, attitudes, behaviors behind those sins. So number one, Take time and ask yourself, uh, identify specific ways that my desire for approval has interfered with my call to evangelization. Ooh. How has my desire for approval interfered with my call to evangelization? Take your time and write those out. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt yeah. for oh, me, yeah. even. I'm, I'm, it's going to be rough. Okay, number two, uh, think about... After you've had uh, maybe evangelizing conversation or maybe you've given a talk or taught a class or something like that, do you think obsessively about the words you said and the responses in the room? Do you like gloss over it over and over and over again? Do you just kind of continually go over your words and worry about what you said and wish you had done things differently? It probably is, is showing that you're relying a little too much on on yourself at that moment, you know, and thinking a little bit too much on yourself about yourself as the impetus behind evangelization. It's mm, mm, a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. All right, number three. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to examine specific teachings that you are most uncomfortable Ooh. presenting or discussing. Ooh. I can't do it. And then I want, yeah, so write them down, like uh, abortion, euthanasia, yeah. in vitro fertilization. Typically, it's moral issues. I hope Catholic priests aren't writing out the Trinity, right? <laughs> the hypostatic union. Right. Uh, it could be things like scripture, Genesis, creation, whatever it might be. And then I want you to discern why these teachings are so hard for you in particular. Do you lack conviction about them? Are you intellectually unconvinced? Like conviction is more about your will, but being convinced is more about the intellect. Do you need 
as one lady said to me, I need more tools in my toolbox. When I'm arguing over X, Y, or Z, I open up the toolbox and it's empty. What do I do? What do I say? And so my whole goal is, is it conviction yeah. or convincing? And for you to understand yeah. which one. Awesome. Number four, I want you to take a look at all your uh, your relationships where you're trying to evangelize. Okay, I want you to take a look at, even even if you're a speaker, you're, you know, your relationships with the parishes or with the retreats or whatever you're doing. I want you to look at all of those and evaluate real quickly. Have you brought in the idea of repentance and true life change? And if not, is it because you're just a few steps away? Is it because you're nervous about it? What is the reason that you haven't introduced the message of the cross and true repentance into this into this relationship yet? Awesome. And finally, number five, this is very difficult. This is very difficult. I need you to discern, and this is... When I was a youth minister, these were the things that we talked about all the time. I need you to discern for yourself the weight of numbers oh, in your ministry. This is awful. This is this, this is going to be hard, yeah, right? These five practical things. Yeah, because we want numbers to express souls that we're reaching, right? Right. So bigger numbers mean we're reaching more people. But sometimes fewer numbers means that people in their own wills have rejected what we're saying. And so when the right. youth group would go down, absolutely right. those 100 people that stay or those 10 people that stay, they might be your most devoted. And yet you're sad that they're not, quote, bringing a friend or other people have left. And yet they might be the committed ones. Right. And if you're doing your job preaching the gospel, the numbers should get smaller, will get smaller, right? The grain of wheat falls in four different areas, and only one area right. produces growth right. that lasts. And so challenge yourself to really sit down and just write out what do numbers mean? What can they mean? What do they mean to me emotionally? What do they mean professionally to me? Whatever it is, write down what does numbers mean to me in evangelizing. So this has been Every Needs Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. This was our Take 5 Examination of Conscience for Evangelists. I hope that it causes you great pain. Yikes. Um, because, <laughs> because this is us offering our sacrificed bodies and ministries and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm joined by Dave Van Vickle. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. All right. Here we go. We're going to torture ourselves with these teachings. Here we go. Yeah. Um, so, if again, if you want to reach out with us, uh, reach out to us, Every Knee Shall Bow, E-K-S-B, at ascensionpress.com, and we would love to hear from you. We're going to do a couple more question and answer shows because we're getting so many that we can't kind of devote an entire episode to it. So we look forward to hearing from y'all. God bless. God bless.